Hello, and welcome to Sonic Stories, the show where music, human performance, and life intersect and are shared through personal stories. My name is Benny Collins, and on this show, I invite a guest to choose three songs that have shaped their life in one way or another, and to share the stories behind these songs and the meaning that they hold for them. Outside of this podcast, I work in the field of sport and performance psychology as a mental performance coach, which means that I support performers such as athletes, performing artists, and executives on working through any sort of mental obstacles they might be facing, as well as helping them optimize their strengths in order to fully realize their performance. And the mental performance tip that I'm going to share for this episode today is about goal setting and the process of setting goals. And so i start with a little bit of history, a little bit of research history. Back in 1990, there were two researchers by the name of Locke and Latham. They had this theory that goal setting, first and foremost, is helpful for performance because it gives us a sense of direction and purpose. And I think that's something that we could all agree to and agree with, and, and, and that's that goals in, in sort of a way act like a compass. They provide direction. They give us a sense of where we want to go, what we're trying to achieve, whether it's long-term, short-term, short it's just... It's just an idea of a thing that we want to go after, and it kind of lays out the roadmap for us, which is very, very helpful if we're in a position, whether we're in sport or out of sport, where we don't know what we should be striving for, whether we haven't really sat down with ourselves and reflected on what we want, or if we're on a team or in some sort of hierarchical system or, or, or setup, that there isn't a person above us that is pulling us along by setting goals for us and benchmarks. And the second piece to this that I want to highlight, um, arguably even more than that first piece, is that according to Locke and Latham, they believe that setting goals helps mobilize our efforts, which means it just, just gets us more energy and it helps us try harder. It gives us, gives us the ability to give more effort towards our goals. And I think that's important because we sometimes on the path of trying to accomplish goals, we can lose a little bit of steam. It's natural. It's, it's Our energies are fluctuating all the time, all day, every day. So it's possible that sometimes we're going to have bad days, even though we're in pursuit of something that we really, really want. And so keeping that thought in mind that according to Locke and Latham, that yes, we have our compass with goals, but we also have something that's going to just put a kind of a swift kick in the butt to, to get towards these goals and to accomplish what we want to accomplish. And so that's a reason why uh, that's a reason why I like to set goals. And it's a reason why I, I keep some of these things in my mind, because I like to kind of break apart some of these theories and, and first off question them to make sure that they actually make sense and that they they're, they're valid and they're applicable to everyday life as well as sports. But it's, it's also just kind of comforting to know that a lot of these things are multifaceted and, you know, going back to this goal, it provides directions or this theory, I should say, it provides direction, but it also gives us the ability to mobilize our efforts, to get us going, to get us off the couch and to do the damn thing that we want to do. So switching gears, talking about the quote unquote, maybe dark side of, of setting goals, or maybe why goal setting isn't always appreciated by everyone. One is that sometimes we set these goals for us that that can be a bit unrealistic or incredibly hard to attain, or they're way, way, way out in the future something like winning a trophy or a championship or in the business setting, maybe earning a huge contract or a promotion And all those things are, and this may be kind of argued, they're things that we don't really have a lot of control over in the short term. Yes, over the long term they do, but what I do today will not directly, directly impact immediately to getting one of those huge outcome type of goal uh, accomplishments, I should say. And so, it's good to have our eyes set on the future. It's good to know where we want to go, but there's also a lot of research in the sports psychology field that explains that when we only have these long-term goals to hang on to, 
we tend to have more anxiety around these goals. And adding to that, even if we don't reach them, there's often feelings of fear of failure that are tied to them. And then at that point, we can sometimes develop the skewed perception of goal setting because they failed us. We feel that the goals failed us within. It's kind of, it's kind of the opposite where sometimes when you set goals, we don't accomplish our goals. And so in some ways we failed our goals and that's totally fine too. That's human. You know, people try things, people, people set things in front of them that sometimes don't get fully realized, don't get fully accomplished, but like in all things, there has to be a balance. And so having a balance in goal setting means that along with those long-term goals, let's get some short-term goals set. Let's get some things that are actually attainable in the short term that we can actually pick at on a, on a quicker timeline and a quicker basis than these long-term goals. And even on any more, a more immediate timeline than short-term goals are process goals. And I'll dig into a little bit on this if, in case it's not something that's fully aware for, for some folks listening in. So process goals, they're, they're just objectives that are tied to more of like a technique or a procedure of a task. And I'll give a couple of examples. And so for one, we, we could say a softball player or a, or a baseball player for that, for, that, for that matter, someone who's trying to improve their batting average. A process goal for a batter in softball or baseball would be that during batting practice, they're emphasizing opening up their hips on every swing. So that way, every one of those swings is consistent and strong. And now that I think about it, consistently strong. And so notice with that goal, it's not particularly tied to a statistic. There really isn't much of a, of a time frame on it, although that can be very helpful, but it's more focusing on a technique of a thing. So the technique of that swing or in basketball, if you're shooting free throws, making sure you're following through with your wrists on every free throw. It's not related to percentage. It's not related to a number of shots. It's just focusing on your wrist and how you do that thing. And having those smaller goals like that are helpful because they're things we can accomplish in the here and now. And we don't really build up this sense of anxiety over potentially not reaching it or viewing it as this very intense and out of reach obstacle or, or not obstacle, but goal or, or thing to achieve an objective. And so that's the thought I wanted to share with all of you today that it's just great to have balance. Yes, we need to have those long-term goals because that's how we, that's how we plan out our lives. Some of us like to have a little bit of a, a vision and some of us don't like to have a vision. That's totally fine. We're all living life in different ways and it's, it's, it's all good. It's all fine. But really, I think when it comes to goal setting, I think that balance is really, really important just for our own health. So we don't get that buildup of anxiety, but also it just feels good to be checking off the list. And it's easy to check off the list when we have process goals and short-term goals that we can get into immediately. But speaking of getting into things immediately, let me share one little tidbit here about my affiliated partnership with Mudwater and then we'll get on to our guest. So as I mentioned, I'm in an affiliated partnership with Mudwater. They're a coffee alternative that has all the pros of coffee and virtually none of the cons. It has organic ingredients to improve mental and physical performance, mood swings, physical stamina, immunity, and overall health. You're probably thinking, okay, that sounds great and all, but what is this stuff? What's, what, what does it actually have? And so Mudwater contains masala chai, cacao, a blend of four medicinal mushrooms, such as lion's mane, cordyceps, chaga, and reishi, and some other simple spices that you probably have in your kitchen right now, like cinnamon, turmeric, and Himalayan salt. For me, I love coffee and have been a, a longtime drinker of coffee for, for quite some time, for a number of years, but I'm someone who, by just having a small amount, my energy can really spike, and then 40 minutes later, I can just get into a, just a nasty slump and feel very sluggish and tired, and 
I'm not cool with that. <laughs> At the end of the day, I'm, I'm not down with that. I need some more consistency with my energy because the workday is long and things need to get done. And, and outside of work, I want to be able to jump into the, the personal hobbies that I have and spend time with people and, and be fully present and enjoy those too. And so I've slowly transitioned to drinking less and less coffee. I think at this point, it's just a couple of sips, maybe maybe a, a third of a cup or a half a cup each day. It's, it's quite small, but at this point, I'm drinking a cup of mud water in the morning when I get up and a cup of mud water, probably about 3.30, 4 p.m. in the afternoon. And, and those two really set me up for a full day of, of feeling alert, having energy and being able to get on with what I do. So I really appreciate what they've created. But outside of that, Mudwater, the company, they donate to MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies to support psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy for those that are suffering from depression, PTSD, addiction, and suicidal ideation. I did a little bit of research in their company just to learn more about it. They, they make a great product, number one, but it was kind of a no-brainer to reach out to them to see if the opportunity would arise to be able to team up because they do awesome work. And I really like where they're putting their efforts in terms of help pe helping people with, with mental health issues. And so if you'd like to give Mudwater a try, there's a link in the show notes for this episode. In the last couple episodes too, they'll be able to take you directly to their website where you can place an order. And so, whew, announcements gotten through those. Boom. Check it off. See that that's kind of a short-term goal for me. It's just, it's just knocking out some of the, these, these intro things for the episode before we get to the meat and potatoes of the show. And so I guess the, the proverbial meat and potatoes of the show is Andy McCurlin. Andy is a human and creator based out of Asheville, North Carolina. From photography to writing, to design, to music, he can't help himself but to bring forth ideas rattling in his head. Additionally, He's a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, though oftentimes he feels like a white belt again. He, like all of us, is trying to understand what it is to live and how to live. I really appreciated this conversation. I really appreciated Andy even more. It was really nice to reconnect with him. He's someone that I've known for about six years, uh, but because of my comings and goings from Austin, Texas, and now he and his partner really recently moved from Austin, we haven't really connected in a while, but he's someone who's been musically engaged, playing in a band called Pala for a number of years. Um, I talked a little bit about that. We just really got into some really great, interesting stories about his past, and, and I think you'll be really interested, interested to hear about how these three songs in, in some more so in other episodes in the past, it's really, it's just really impressive and really cool to hear how these songs had a very, very big impact on some of the decisions that he made in his life to steer him down the path that he's in, regardless of goodness, badness, whatever it is, creative, or not creative. It's just, it's just when he talks about it, there's like a moment in time where he decided to do a thing based off the song. And I think that is really powerful and really cool and is exactly the impetus for this show. And so I will pause there. Let's get to the conversation with Andy. Without further ado, here is Mr. McCurlin. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, man. It's good to be here with you. We were, so just before hitting record, we were just talking about how, many, how it's been several years. You and I first met like six years ago in Austin. It's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's wacky. It's wacky. I feel like your your mustache is just as wonderful as ever, which is really great to see. <laughs> That's great. Um, but you just moved to Asheville. So give me the synopsis on Asheville because I have yet to visit there. Yeah, it's a cool spot, man. It's nestled in Western North Carolina up in the Appalachian Mountains, uh, well, the Blue Ridge Mountains specifically. And it's very reminiscent of Austin 
circa like 2008, 2009. Um, I think the population is like three, just under 300,000. It's, it's growing like crazy. Cause I think people, uh, are realizing what a gem it is Yeah, as, as we did. Um, so yeah, it's just a beautiful, really, really pretty spot that, um, is surrounded by like national forests and beautiful waterfalls and rivers. And it's, a uh, yeah, pretty idyllic place to be. Yeah, it sounds dreamy, honestly. Like I, I definitely enjoy Austin, but sometimes you want to see something else other than tan and yeah, and, and yeah. beige. So uh, it's it's almost like it makes you think of Thanksgiving. Like I think of Thanksgiving as the day of tan food, basically. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I've heard really good things about Asheville, and you just solidified them even more. So I definitely have to to make the trip. That's for sure. Yeah, it's a cool spot, man. Should come check it out. Yeah. And the music scene is pretty solid there too. Or is that, is that also something that's growing there? Uh, actually, yeah, it's pretty big here, man. And I, I really, really fucked up. Uh, Krong bin was here like last Saturday and I didn't know. And they, um, yeah. And then Sunday I was like, Oh shit, I think it's tonight. And then it was not, but um, yeah, they're, they're actually, it's not nearly as big as Austin or even in Texas, Austin's not, believe it or not, a huge music destination. It's going to be like San Antonio, Houston, or Dallas. They mm-hmm. get like the really big tours and stuff like that. Not to say that really great artists don't pass through because obviously they, they do. But at least in Asheville, um, yeah, there's a very vibrant music scene locally. Um, and it does get big acts like Krongbin and, uh, you know, like, yeah, national touring bands pass through here. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some some big nades on some some random bills that have come across. I don't know, I don't know any names of any specific venues in Asheville, but I've seen just like a couple of of random things here and there, which is promising. Yeah, yeah, I've I've unfortunately and sadly have not seen a show yet. So we uh, oh, we're yeah. booking this summer though. We just kind of moved, so we're finally like settled. But yeah, yeah, for all of you that are ready to jump down Andy's back, he and his partner just moved there, so. Um, hold, hold the phone it's been like what you said january is when you moved there so like four-ish months three-ish months uh, well we were <clears throat> excuse me we were in an airbnb for three months and then uh we rented it we tried to buy a house here and realized the market's just as crazy as it is in austin um <laughs> so we said fuck it we'll just rent yeah. uh so we literally just like got our stuff back from austin and have been in this place for like a couple weeks now okay nice well yeah so i'm just even looking- more of an excuse Right. Yeah. It's, it's fair. It's like, there's, it's almost like you're slowly adding more steps to this moving process, but not yeah. by, not by your own choice, really. It's like, you just kind of got stuck. So you have to make, make a decision basically. Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, the place looks great. Just looking at the video, you got a nice bookshelf guitar looks great. What kind of Thank guitar is that by the way? It is an ESP Viper, uh, I think purchased in 2005. Yeah. It's what I uh, played when I was in Paula and yeah it's been the trusty steed for years nice yeah there's nothing like connecting with an instrument that you like know so so well yeah that's like I've never had another guitar besides that I mean I had a like a really cheap intro guitar and then I got that one for like my 15th birthday and I just never bought another one because I I don't geek out about gear but I'm also like it works it's it's not just right I know it so well so yeah yeah exactly to replace it right that makes sense. Nice. Good stuff. Well, let's, let's get into these songs. I'm, I'm very yeah. curious to hear the stories that you have with them, whether they're related to your 
your background of being a musician at Paula or just being, you know, something that's happened to you in your past or whatever it is. I'm very curious to just kind of jump into these. Um, do you have a preference on which of the three that we start with? Yeah, I think we could start with, let's just start with the craziest one, <laughs> which is Bay and Network. That's, that's what I was hoping you were going to say. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So when I, when I list, looked, looked up the song and listened to it, Bay and Network, uh, there were like volumes to it, if I remember right. There were like a list of multiple songs. And I chose the first one, which I really hope was the right one. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that song you probably heard is actually, and I know this album very well, is okay. uh, Murder Erotica. Um, so it's not that, but that was a very close second that I was about to sub in. But for, you know, nostalgic reasons, I went with Band Network. But they're very similar and you get the gist with either. Yeah. Okay, got it. So, so you say nostalgic. That's definitely like a word that pops in on the show when when talking with folks about the stories of the songs and everything. What makes this one nostalgic for you? There, yeah, it's kind of a a, a plethora of reasons. Um, one being music oriented, and then one being kind of like life path oriented. Um, and the music oriented one story is shorter. And that was, you know, when I was like fourteen, fifteen. Uh, you know, I, I, at least for me, I didn't really like listen to music. That wasn't really something that I did until middle school. Um, and yeah, I first got like really excited about like Blink-182. My dad liked Blink-182, so we like bonded over that. My first concert was Blink-182. Um, and so my first intro to music of like liking it was this punk-ish genre, like just not uh, like kind of automatically going nearing the heavier side of music not being mm -hmm. like whatever hip-hop or classic rock or anything like that and um that song and specifically that album like really changed the way i thought music could be played because it's so chaotic and so dissonant and the timing is just weird and like uh daniel davison the, the drummer on the album was playing these like really crazy technical uh you know drum parts that I had just never heard before. And it really opened my, my mind to like, wow, this is really compelling. And um, I wanted to like incorporate that because I was in like a little high school band at that time. And I wanted to incorporate that into my writing. Um, and so actually I had seen Norma Jean live at the door in Dallas, Texas, um, back when it was the original door and back when Deep Ellum was like scary and, you know, it's like, don't go past, don't, don't leave the venue kind of thing. Sure. Um, and some, somehow my mom would like take us like, you know, five goofy ass 15 year olds down there to go watch a show. Yeah. Um, and they closed with that song on one of their sets and the way like the door was oriented. It's, it was kind of weird. It was like uh, kind of like an L shape with the stage in the corner of the L and then in one leg of the L they had an upstairs balcony where you could look down. And I, at 15, was like maybe pushing like 95 pounds. So I had no interest in being like in the pit or in the front and getting smashed and smushed. So I was just upstairs watching. And uh, I just remember like the chaos when the ending of that song hit and they had these strobes that were just beaming. And I just remember looking down into the crowd and it was just this sea of people just moving. And I was like, this is so fucking rad. Uh, yeah, it, it was just such a moment of like 
just connectivity to the present and to the scene um, before me, it was just enthralling and, you know, enough so that I'm like, you know, I remember it, whatever, you know, 16 years later. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, on the kind of life side, that album, that album art for, from Oh God, The Aftermath is the name of the album. That actually like really inspired me to get into design. And um, I had fought, like tried, you know, to, this was kind of like mid social, no pre-social media, I suppose, or really early on. It was really hard to like find people, but <laughs> I like poured into the artist's portfolio and was just like, just enraptured by what I was seeing. And I felt like in high school, I was pretty aimless. I was a very average, you know, probably less than average student. I had no passion for schooling, um, specifically public schooling. Um, but I found this thing that I was like, I actually really like this. And that album and the album art put me down the path of design, which is, you know, what I do for a living today, which has provided for me very well. So in some weird way, I got to like be thankful of coming across that because uh, you know, life could have been a different path. Totally. That's, that's exactly what I was thinking about. It's like, there's, there are these two pillars of Andy present day, Andy, there's the professional side with design that was, mm -hmm. that was like incited and inf inflamed by seeing that album art. But then there's the musical side where you're, where you're watching above, looking down at the pit, seeing the sea of people and were made to feel so alive. Like that's, that's what comes to mind for me. It's like that frame of, or that um, that phrase of feeling incredibly alive. Cause like when you're in the present moment watching other people, strobes are going, loud music, that energy is so high that you can't, yeah. like even, even if you're 20 feet above in a balcony with your buddies, you know, who just taken a science test earlier that day or whatever, it's just like, there's just an ultimate intensity to that. That is like, it's almost primal. It's so intense. Yeah, it really is. And primal in the sense that it's, it's nervous in the, in like the sense of the word, like your nervous system, like it just yeah. is covering from head to toe, your focus, like your hunting is like, yeah, prime. You're just so it raw, focused, completely raw and just, um, you know, unbridled. So it was, yeah, it was definitely, and I had seen a bunch of shows. I've seen tons of shows. Um, and that one certainly sticks out as like most influential. Yeah. Gee, starting with a banger. Wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so tell me about the people that you went to that show with. So you mentioned it was you and a couple of your friends. Do you keep in touch with those people or what's, what are those people up to? That's a great question. I can't remember the specific crowd. Um, I, a couple of them, I, I, who I believe were there, I don't really talk to anymore, but uh, I'd have to ask if the two I'm thinking of were there and I believe they were, but I just, it was, that was like, the door was my Disney world. So I loved following bands and seeing when shows would go there and like, we would all go down um, and, you know, force my mom or dad to come pick us up at like 12 a.m. and drive like the 25 fucking minutes downtown to, to come grab us. Um, but I believe, I would say like half I don't talk to anymore or keep in sure. touch with, um, and then half I do. Okay. 
but Got I have to, yeah. Yeah, I'm just curious because with music that makes a big impact on us, oftentimes there are other people involved that are like somehow kind of like intertwined in that memory or into that story somehow. Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of weird to think that, you know, I was one of like 150, 200 people there and all of those people, like, did they have a similar experience? Did, did, was that a pivotal show for them? Right. You know, how many, how many other designers are there out there because of, <laughs> yeah, because of Norma Jean. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, I think the work, the design workforce in this country should be a little more thankful because of Norma Jean. Cause they got, got they, damn right. Yeah. Yeah. You want to talk about getting people some jobs. Thanks Biden. Um, yeah. But um, interesting, interesting. And so thinking back to the composition of the songs, you mentioned the drummer playing some really technical uh, drum parts. Were there any other parts of like the actual composition composition of the song that made you kind of raise your eyebrows and, and get a little more connected to it? Yeah, I think it's like the the second verse is just kind of the timing that the guitarist chose to take with like using these kind of like root notes and then like going higher up to, uh, you know, what one would colloquially call like neeners, which are just like these really like distant, I think they're like augmented second chords. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I don't really know like the university side or the scholarly side of music or whatever the term theory are. yeah the theory the theory side. that's right thank you that was the word i was looking for um and it was just you know it's kind of like unpredictable was the yeah. thing and it's kind of like hard to follow and then you try to like even just like tap on your leg like trying to predict the next uh the next hit or the next stroke on the guitar and it was really hard to do and that was just so cool to me because i feel like so much music I mean, God bless like ACDC and Metallica. Mm -hmm. Everything's like on the one. Everything hits predictably. Um, but this music, I was like, holy shit, this is like confusing. And that confusion really was interesting to me. Yeah, it's it's like it's excitingly perplex. And that's kind of what I picked up on it, too, was like yeah. um, I was just listening to it. I'm like, all right wait what yeah <laughs> i was like where is this oh and then it's like constantly shifting and changing so it, it forces you to focus a lot on the song and you can't really passively listen to it and that may be because it is a heavy rock song with some very intense vocals and very intense guitar parts right. but also like you said like the time signature is really wacky and then the exactly the, the neeners that you mentioned it's just like there's just so much going on and and you mentioned dissonant too i think that's a good mm -hmm. word for it it's mm -hmm it's a lot to keep up with and it was and it's done so like not intentionally just like for the sake of being like crazy it's not like saying fuck you with with music right it, it's not just doing it for irony or satire or anything it was like all of it works you don't have to like it but it really works for like that sound and how like everything from the production to you know exactly like the drum parts to the guitar parts like it all actually like really works well for what it's doing um which i think just gives it even more credibility is um you know actually like being quality music has has this song or the band itself influenced you as as a musician yeah absolutely um they i've been following norma jean since yeah probably 2005 um 
their later albums, they 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 went through a bunch of lineup changes, and you know, with it's like you kind of lose the magic. But certain people have right. it, and then they leave, and uh, it's done, unfortunately. But yeah, I would say that album, and then the the following one, Redeemer. Both of those influenced me at least subtly, like in how I how I think about music, and really also lyrics too, because I feel like that was one of the first albums where I felt the lyrics was the lyrics were really well thought out and like poetic and that was always something I tried to excuse me to do with Paula was ensure that none of our music involves cliches or lyrics that is we had no cliches everything was purposeful and um, intentional in a way that um, would hopefully move someone when when they heard it or at least looked at the lyrics and would understand like oh these are actually like very thought out versus um just written to make a song yeah it, well yeah and when you say that it kind of sounds like kind of getting i guess getting that knowledge of that teaching from norma jean and learning how to write lyrics in a similar way or just thinking about writing lyrics in that way probably has influenced just your overall writing skills outside of music too would, is, would yeah. you say that's kind of true yeah yeah absolutely and it, yeah in some like atomic way it, it certainly yeah. has because yeah. um, writing is something that I still like to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm like trying to pick it up and trying to like make it more of a focus. Um, and it's the same thing. Like everything is intentional. Um, you know, trying to avoid like the cliches or the low hanging fruit and like really think through unless it works, unless it's like, you know, it works for the, the use case. But yeah, just doing what Norma Jean did, what Corey Brandon did when he was writing that those lyrics down and like a notebook um just being really meticulous with what you want to go to print with have you so you how many shows of theirs have you been to is it just that one uh it's probably like five or six i think um like i said like kind of their their later albums i got when they had the big lineup changes and really it was only like Corey brandon left the vocalist mm. um it's kind of hard to maintain the same sound when it's just the vocalist who can't write anything. Yeah. Um, well, he, he does actually, he does actually write stuff. Um, sorry, Corey. Um, but <laughs> it also, I had moved out of that phase of my life. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was just a different thing, but I, at least I, you know, got it in while it was still very uh, important to me and pressing. Yeah. And I think that's interesting too, is that you mentioned how you kind of like moved on with your life, but you moved on from that time mm-hmm. because I feel like, cause you and I are like a year apart. I think, I think you're like a year older than me. Um, when, and I guess like, I'll just speak from my own experience, but I think it's common for a lot of folks around our age is that when we're in middle school and we get into a sport or we get into an activity or music, for instance, or a specific genre, mm-hmm. it's like such a compressed window of time that yeah. moves really fast because the next year is seventh grade. And the next year I like Mariah Carey instead. And then it's eighth grade after that. And then I want to go listen to third eye blind. And then it's just like, like every, yeah. every like six months to 12 months has its own identity. And so I think for Norma, for you and Norma Jean, you had like that perfect, it sounds like you had like a perfect episode. It was like season three of game of Thrones. It's like nearly flawless. Like it's, it's damn good. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And I think, you know, too, at that, in that stage of life, 
those years are incredibly formative. And like you said, everything's so fast and compressed versus now I'm like, there's not a big difference between like 31 and 29, but there's a big difference between like 15 and 13 um, or 15 and 17 even. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They're quick. They're quick. Let's cruise on to the next track. So the next one in line that you sent was um, Diamond, Stick to Your Guns. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, that song, that really was very upstream for the, the idea of Paula, um, where that song Diamond, it opens with this quote, um, which is actually like, I made into a poster and I gave out at our uh, initial EP release party. And it's, um, I didn't know who it was at the time, but uh, you know, it said roughly like in this, there is no, there is no master, no savior, no leader. You yourself are the teacher, the master, the, you are the leader, you are everything. And to understand is to transform what is. And then it just like goes into this, like jump, jump, like this really dope chuggy part. And it's just like, fuck, yeah, dude, I'm ready to do whatever. I'm ready to, you know, deadlift this weight or like um, just hit this like project with focus. It just uh, hits something within me that's very uh, motivating. And as I, like I said, it, that quote, I didn't know who it was. It was Jidu Krishnamurti, who then, mm-hmm. you know, I, I heard that lyric and I went and like listened to it and typed it into Google and, um, started reading a lot of Krishnamurti and that quote itself um, provided a ton of inspiration for Paula in both song capacity and lyric capacity and um, the whole idea of actually like our first EP which is called The Seven Earths uh, it's very closely relate, related to that that concept um, so just if Bayonet Network by Norma Jean was informative for, you know, maybe a career path or just general interest in um, what I want to do in life, this song was um, equally as impression, uh, impression heavy, but on the musical side. Yeah, that's wild. That's wild. Cause it's like things, like you said, like this was like a piece of the Genesis for Paula. So what would, what would your, what do you think your musical endeavors would have looked like years ago if you had not heard this song or, or, or just if this song didn't even exist? I don't even know if it would happen to be honest, man, because it, that also like reading Christian Murdy and just like having this quote, and like, seriously, like I have this, like I've made posters, screen printed them and I have it framed and I'm like never going to get rid of it because the quote is so powerful, but it caught me, you know, as we were talking about phases of life, the phase of life that this caught me in, I think was um, immense curiosity and just kind of an expansion of my mind where I would say I was living kind of not dimly, but like, uh, I don't know, just not as curious. And I wanted to understand more about life and philosophies and, and things like that. And, um, you know, this just like collided with me head on. Um, but, and I don't even know if Paula would have happened if that time 
obviously didn't happen. So it, right. yeah, I, there's a lot to, to owe to that song for sure. That's huge. That's huge. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I think like you had said, like there was, um, I guess it caught you in a way, right? I can't remember exactly how you phrased it, but I think you're alluding to the point that you may have been in that like dim stage where maybe you're like a little disengaged, but then this mm-hmm. caught you in a way that did just kind of jolt some life into you and got you engaged and pulled yeah. you, pulled you in a direction that you otherwise would not have been pulled into. So that's, that's wild. What like a, what a course correcting action that happened. Yeah. It's, you know, I kind of think about it. It's just like turning on a light and maybe it's just a single bulb, but that's it. It, it shows you that there's another switch over here and then you flip that switch and it's, 10 lights and then you've, yeah. you know it shows you 10 new switches so um yeah it was incre- super pivotal that's so wild yeah it's like a totally different trajectory and like imagine what the relationships with your bandmates at that time would have been like or i don't know your guitar playing or your right. your your lyric writing anything like that i think it's so wild that like a single a single song that is like you know, obviously it probably took months and months for that band to come with that song to, you know, work out the parts, to record it, to mix it, everything. Mm-hmm. But for you, like you ingested it one day, maybe randomly, maybe not even intentionally. And then it totally just flipped on the light. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. And that, you know, that proceeded like hearing that song for the first time. I, I remember hearing it um, or listening to it at least not for the first time, but on a train in between, um, somewhere in like central Europe. So that must've been around 2015. And then Paula did not really, no music from Paula was released until 2017, I believe. Um, so yeah, it was, you know, that little flapping of the butterfly wings, uh, that actually a couple of years later had resulted in, you know, taking that initial inspiration and transforming it, you know, like alchemizing it into an audible form through yeah. my lens. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it, it went through the Andy machine and then out yeah. came gold, basically. I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but some, um, some say it is so. <laughs> yeah. Some say, some say we, we, yeah, we have fans, you know, people like us, um, but um, yeah. One, one important piece of that song, you know, that song, um, it's called Diamond and the album is called Diamond. And the theory, the idea that the band was making with that was like, your life is your diamond. And that's, I believe the last words he says in that song, which like kicks off the album. Um, and so that, all, that idea also really stuck with me. We're like, no, my life is like precious and I need to like fucking live it well um and start and that really coincided with the new philosophy and the, and the kind of the hunger for all that philosophy was like how do i live my life well like what does it mean for me to do that um so yeah that the, the krishnamurti quote and the concept of the song were just you know very deep rooted and is it is it a song that you sometimes go back to to get to like turn the lights on again as a motivator you know, I, yes and no, I probably should. Um, just cause also that album just bangs um, from, from front to back. Um, 
but yeah there you know there's sometimes i as just nostalgia just listening to albums um cover to cover sometimes uh, uninterrupted that one is one i frequent you know pretty often yeah okay and you so you had mentioned a piece about uh in diamond on how it was almost like giving a lesson or a tutorial on living life in a very specific way and with intention, which I really appreciated. It made me think of this poem that I heard a few weeks back called The Dash. Have you heard of this poem? No, do yeah, I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, yeah, so I'll, I'll give you um, kind of like the, the cliff notes, I guess. I don't know what word for word, it's like multiple stances, but um, it's a person who speaks about uh, how there's so much attention in our lives on our date of birth, so. Mm. Mine, January 30th, 1992. There's so much attention on that, attention on our, our birthday every single year. It's like, oh, another one, another one. And then when we live our life, everyone is also very focused on our date of death. And question mark, question mark, question mark for me. Obviously, you don't know when that is. Um, but there's but there's often, like on a, on a person's gravestone, there's the date of birth, there's a dash, and then there's the, the date of their death. But the dash is like such a small part on that. Like there's the name, there's the survived by, there's the, right. but, but the dash is like everything that is, that could be, it's an entire, an entire life. And what you mentioned about living your life with intention, living a full life and being engaged, maybe think of that because that to me is like a, it's a pretty recent reminder that I got three weeks ago about just living with intention and remembering the dash and remembering to like make your dash as full as possible, live out your dash and fill that thing up and like fully do it. Yeah, I mean, like what an what an incredible observation that writer had, you know, to be struck by that tiny piece of, you know, punctuation. A hyphen. Um, yeah, to, <laughs> and to just inject that very real, you know, story into it that's that's exactly how it is because if you do go to a graveyard you would exactly just see there i mean you would understand that there were lives lived but um outside of perhaps a quote on the tombstone there's nothing else really celebrated about it except their dates of existence yeah so i think like one of the other parts of it was like what are you going to do with your dash basically because mm. it's like another reminder, it's like you have one life, you have one single dash, you have many, many birthdays, presumably, but like you got the single dash, you have the single, that's it, that's all you got. And so, yeah, but bringing it back to the song, I think that's, I think, I think I'm going to have to spend another minute or two with, with Diamond and like really sink into that and like let that in. And even, I mean, you said that that was a song that kind of, or the last lyric in that song kicked off the album. So that makes me want to go and just listen to the whole album front to back to kind of get yeah. the, the full story and like see see what chapters there are. Because oftentimes in albums like that, with that with that caliber of, uh, of lyrics, there's, there's chapters in the album and there's like pieces to it that are also profound. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say like the whole album's not thematically around that subject. Um, I mean, it's it's a like punk album. So there's a wide array of topics, but overall that's like kind of the tying theme. That's what they chose to encapsulate that album. Um, 
So I'm just giving you the heads up. It's like some some songs maybe stray away lyrically, but um, overall you can listen to it front to back and it's like, okay, it's still a continuous story. Yeah, nice. Good, good. That's good to hear. Are there, and I know you said this is, this is a song that you should maybe go back to more often than you currently do. Um, but going back to, um, looking back to the first track, how often do you listen mm-hmm. to that song? I would say probably just as often. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing where uh, the song is so nostalgic, but it, it's almost like nostalgic to a fault where we are so fortunate now in 2022 to have the level of music production that we do because like our Taylor Anderson, the producer of Paula made all of our music out of his fucking bedroom. And it sounds awesome. And it sounds better than a lot of professional, professional quote unquote, touring bands, whatever you want to call them. Um, But in 2005, when that album dropped, there was just a different level of production. Um, And, you know, songs still hold up, but if you go and listen to like Hotel California, the, the mixing sucks. Sorry, yeah. like comparatively, <laughs> it's just not, not good. It's a great song, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's legendary. But like apples to apples, if aliens came here and they were, you know, tasked to be like, which has better production, they'd be like fucking, you know, whatever, like Ariana Grande song is just came out. Um, right. Because of the production, you know, then it was like the hottest thing, right? It's just like, uh, it was the dopest, like, level achieved but now it's it's kind of been antiquated a bit so it doesn't really strike those same nerves that it did originally and that's why i wish you know so many i would love for just bands to be like fuck it let's just like remix and master our old songs and just put them out there because i think it'd be really interesting to do um yeah. but it, i would still hold a you know a spot in my heart for the original track of a uh, band network yeah, because if there's just like something the way that an original track or the way a track is mixed in its original form way back when it first came out, where everything sounds exactly the way that it does. And it's like, you don't want it to change. And it's like, yeah, it sounds the way it should. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it sounds the way that they intended it to sound. It's like, I think of it like as making, it's like you can make a PB&J a bajillion different ways. But if you make it with your peanut butter that you like and the very specific jelly or jam that you like, then like nothing, nothing can touch that, you know? Right. Yeah. They'll by name, they're the same, but on the palate, they're completely different. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, okay. Smuckers is smuckers, but yeah. Anyways, we don't gotta, we don't gotta go there. <laughs> um, I am hungry though. So I'm going to, I'm just going to mention that right now while we're taking this moment. PB&J does sound pretty fucking banging. Yeah, when's the last time you had one? I don't know. I maybe I want to say years, but I also like I feel like it's such an easy like camping food that I probably have had one within the last couple of years. But what what about you? Last night. Oh, <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm so yeah. Full full disclosure. Uh, like two, three months ago, I was like, you know, I'm kind of in the mood for a, a PB&J. And so like, I got a nice loaf of sourdough. Um, oh, hell yeah. Yeah. And then so you're I, doing it up. You're not like getting the bullshit white bread and like. Yeah. Yeah. We're, okay. Let's just dedicate the next like two and a half minutes to PB&J talk for everyone that wants to tune it out. It's fine. We're going to go <laughs> in on this. So I got a nice loaf of sourdough from the co-op. I then mm-hmm. 
got uh, some peanut butter, pretty average peanut butter. I'm a fan of like a mixed berry jam, like a blackberry mm. jam, something with some chunk, some real, some real stuff yeah. in it. Um, I take the sourdough. I, I lightly toast it. I want my bread lightly toasted yeah. and warm. Yep. I put on the PB, I put on the J and then I lightly dash it with cinnamon. And then I close that book. Oh, perfect. And it's, it's a blessing from, from, every dimension of plane of existence. It's so good. I mean, it sounds incredible. And I wish that I had the ingredients to make one. <laughs> <laughs> I will mail them to you. I feel like every home needs, <laughs> yeah. every home needs to have the ingredients. It'll keep well. Yeah. 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 In the <laughs> summer heat. In the summer heat. <laughs> Sitting in the back of a FedEx truck. Yeah. yeah. Festering. Yeah. <laughs> Just a jar of peanut butter explodes in the back of a truck. Yeah. It'll probably be a fermented PBJ yeah. by that point. Yeah. Drizzle, drizzly. Anyways, um, yeah. <laughs> PB&Js are great. I am very glad they're back in my life. They're a great snack any time of day. Um, but speaking of things that are soothing and comforting, contact as cities burn. I, when I listened to this track, I was like, and this is no judgment uh, mm. in quality of music compared to the first two tracks. But when I heard yeah. contact, I was like, oh, and it was like, it was soothing. But tell me about it for you. Yeah, this this song, man. So I mean, that city's burn was also a very formative band, and I like attribute a lot of like the way I play guitar and like specifically leads to Cody Bonnet, of who's the vocalist who you were hearing in that song, and he's also playing. Um, and he's really fucking good, and he's great live. Um, but this song, you know, it. I'm, I have the album cover out and I'm, and I'm reading through the lyrics and I think like it's kind of now looking, I haven't looked at the lyrics in, you know, a decade or something. And essentially the whole song is about um, through kind of like a, a Christian lens of like God, like questioning his existence. Cause he's, you know, it's like, well, look around, man. Like it doesn't really look like a God is here. Um, and the album art looks like I would say the shroud of, Turin perhaps like literally like the the cloth that would supposedly cover Jesus when he after the crucifixion that he then um you know magically arose from and it's just but it, it has a vacancy to it which I think ties into the concept of the the lyrics and so this was actually really formative when I was in college at Auburn um not a lot of people know this, but like in, in my late, late teens, like 18, 19, um, I was actually, I would like have considered myself Christian. Um, I am now agnostic, uh, I would say, even though I do believe like in God in a certain sense, but that's a different conversation, I suppose. But um, as Cities Burn was like a Christian band. So like, I really liked, like, I felt like their lyrics really um, resonated with me. And during my college years is actually like when I lost my religion. And I, I do attribute that to being in a Southern state school. I went to Auburn. So it was deep South Alabama, you know, mega churches and, you know, you'd go to church on Sunday and whatever. Um, and I think the lyrics of this song, you know, like even just looking at this one stanza where it's, it's like, you know, remember we used to speak. Now I'm starting to think, that your voice was really my own bouncing off the ceiling back to me. And it's kind of like essentially saying, and you know, your prayers or this concept of God is just, you know, obviously created in your own, the ceiling of your brain of, of your own mind. 
Um, and so it was kind of somewhat of like a soundtrack to like losing my faith during that time at Auburn um, and kind of being okay with it, I guess. But, you know, out, outside of that, just even just musically, the guitar playing, everything I feel like is so beautifully done. Um, and then at the, the end of the song, there's this very um, intimate, quiet cessation of the music. And it, it just goes straight to Cody um, singing in the, the last stanza is, and brother, have you found the great peace that we all seek? You say, take a look around. If there's a God, then he must be asleep. And then it just repeats, God must be asleep. And it kind of like drowns out like the song is falling into sleep so yeah um yeah definite audio departure from the from the previous two um but very much as impactful lyrically wise do you think that this song was the seed that kind of first started you to slowly drift away from being religiously engaged or was it something that was kind of affirming things you were already thinking about you know, I think, as I alluded to earlier, like that, um, the dimness of the mind, perhaps, or the the constrained mind, I kind of think about it as like, you know, at, at some point, the universe was like the size of my fist, right? Like, now it's what, however big it is now. Um, and I think that's kind of the, not nearly that exponential trajectory, but kind of the same concept with like, my mind. And I think, you know, subconsciously, I was listening to this, and having it comfort me, because I was feeling like that guilt, you know, that weird, like religious guilt, um, that the faith will often get when, when they're questioning and like, especially, especially when they're losing, um, their faith. So I don't think it was active, but I think it was, it was certainly a passive understanding. That's a direction. Yeah. That's so many pivotal songs. I don't know if I've ever had like in, in the, the episodes of this show, I don't know if I ever had a guest who has had like such and this is not to pass any judgment on anybody else, but like these have like really shaped things. They've these three songs have like pushed you in directions for your life to go in very particular directions. So, I mean, I'll pause and say good on you for choosing some damn good influential songs, because I think, like you had mentioned before, in 2022, the production of a song is immense and very and very impressive, but also just the access to music is also immense. And yeah. impressive too. There are so many songs that any person could choose when choosing their three songs, but I feel like you nailed it. Oh, well, thanks, man. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, that was a criteria that I held myself to in choosing the songs. Certainly I'm sure there are great reasons to choose other wonderful criteria. That, that was just what I wanted to grade for myself. And it was cool. Cause it also like really made me think about and like follow the thread back to those uh, those first introductions. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned, yeah, like 2022, the volume of music that exists today is enormous, right? It's, it's just, it's unfathomable. I mean, you can look at like, I forget how many songs are uploaded, uploaded to like Spotify every day. It's like in the thousands. And geez. you gotta wonder if, if that's good or bad and kind of the, the same lens where people can find something that's so gripping, you would imagine there's more supply, more ability to do that, especially now that people can make music for a much cheaper amount than they could 15 years ago. Yeah, it's just an interesting, it's just a different paradigm. Like that 15 year old out there who's um, looking for a song to like 
that's that's some sort of comfort to them. I I hope they find it. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a sea. There's so much to wade through, and there's and there's a lot of really good music out there, but yeah, but it's it's every end of it's both ends of the spectrum. There's stuff that's that's not going to really do it for you, and you and, mm-hmm. and one doesn't think it's good, and then there's other stuff that's like, oh yeah, this is this is my jam. This is what it's all about. But yeah, and go ahead. I was just gonna say yeah, you know, and is there is there too much right? Um, because you can easily just bounce and and also the way audio is digested now you have spotify which you know probably most people use or app, apple music or whatever mm-hmm. and it's so easy for anybody just to bounce to another song or hit shuffle you don't really have to like put an entire fucking cd like in your walkman or your yeah. cd player in the corner of your room and like you know click to the next song or just say fuck it i'll listen to the whole album right. so it the listening experience of the ingestion of music is so different now than it was. Yeah. That's so true. Like the physical act of putting a CD into a Walkman or a, my sister had a, my sister had a Discman and I got my Mm. sister's, she had a Discman. So I got that from her. And even just the physical act, like you said, like I remember putting a disc in a Discman and flipping it upside down. And then you would hear it kind of scratch the CD in in there you could hear like <laughs> this kind of scratching mm-hmm. sound whereas like now you, you could like you could slingshot your iphone across the room and it's not going to skip a beat right so i don't know yeah and you were you were fucked you need an entire new walkman right. if like yeah yeah the disc Which, the disc the disc is now worthless like it it now skips on track four at the two right. minute 28 second mark every single time because of that yeah and it, i mean it has like a charm i guess or maybe in retrospect, but even like yeah. there was just so much more intentionality about it. Cause I remember like my first car, I had a six disc, uh, changer. Sure. And, well, if in, but it was in my fucking glove <laughs> compartment. It yeah. wasn't like in the console. You know? It wasn't available to you. Yeah. 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 So it's like, you know, I remember, you know, doing drives to and from Auburn 12 fucking hours and you know, you're flying down the highway like 70 miles an hour. So you're like, if I'm going to change a CD, it's got to be like the one right. I want, right? Because I got to take I got to take the little insert out of it. And then I have to put the CD back in its case, grab the new CD, put it in the insert, put the insert back in, close the glove compartment, then navigate to that CD. Right. And, it, um, and I think also because of that, like we just, like on our generation and generations before, like, listen to shit on repeat like we listen like just oh yeah we wore shit out you know oh yeah that's yeah that's so true i think because of what you had mentioned because it was such a chore to get to a new vinyl or a new a new cd yeah vinyl for sure because vinyl is like great you get four or five songs and you gotta flip the fucking thing right right yeah it's it's so wild like I, I feel like you and i are young compared to the people like some of the people in the world like we're you know 30 31 32 right so like we you know we're at like the the blip in time for for human beings where we had this explosion of technological advances but even before that it was even more so in that other direction right and so, yeah they have the same perspective like you you fucking kids have have it so easy you have stores where that they sell you know there's a thousand cds in here and you can just put them in a player but i remember like i remember my dad having like thinking he was balling out with 
like a hundred disc CD player. It looked <laughs> ridiculous. It was just like, it looked like a slinky turned on its side, right? It's just like, it's this thing that rotates. Oh, it's I do remember so those. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. But now it's just exactly, you do it from your phone. And yeah. you every single song ever made in the palm of your hand. Millions of songs, essentially. Uh, yeah, at least. Yeah. And like the one, and one thing I think about too is, <clears throat> I think in the last maybe six months or so, Spotify added a feature where they allow you to go to the discography of an artist mm-hmm. as, a, as opposed to just like scrolling through the albums, which like, oh no, you have to scroll through albums. That's so easy too. But the fact that they put into the discography, discography form, um, sometimes it's chronological. And just like going back to how absurd it is that we have access, it's crazy to think like, you mentioned Metallica earlier. Those mm-hmm. guys got started in like, like late early set. 80s right i think late kill, 70s i think like kill them all was like 78 79 or something maybe or maybe 80 yeah it's but crazy yeah so like you know 40 45 years whatever 40 45 years of those guys lives and they've like entirely changed the heavy metal and rock scene and it's just like oh i'm just gonna yeah we'll, we'll do that one enter sandman <laughs> right yeah and then two minutes and you're like oh, i'm bored yeah <laughs> <laughs> listen to something else yeah yeah. yeah but it's it's nice that they do that because well it's it's good that they do that because i think what's really hard now is and this is something we we grappled with with paula was like you know acquisition of listeners and you know what people are doing now is the, the format of music releases have, has changed significantly because initially with like vinyl albums well you have this amount of time, this amount of real estate to put songs on, right? And typically it was like this album, maybe they, the songs kind of all sound the same because they're all written around the same time. And then you code them onto this piece of plastic and ship it. And then, you know, people begin making like concept albums and stuff like that and having more thematic approaches. Um, but now, you know, you're not rewarded for that necessarily. You're not rewarded as an artist for a beautiful like concept album. Like you can fucking loop it because like the last note on the last song actually transitions perfectly into the first note of the first song. Like you just it's can't also do that. a D sharp. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's um because now like what really actually like pays off are just doing like optimizing for the algorithms. And so we just you do a single and that single is like a very specific length and time. And then, you know, you time, you put another one out in like a few months and another one out. And so then you have this like disjointed uh, release path. That's, you know, not, not dissing anyone who's doing, it, I get it, but yeah, you kind of lose maybe the greatness of what albums used to be, but I still think really good albums are produced, but I, I don't know. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I, it's a good perspective. And I'm glad you shared that because I, I I recognize that over time and like being like a serial music listener, like many other people, I do notice that singles are dropped. And then yeah. a month or two down the road, the full album comes. And I think it's a really good point you made on how <clears throat> the single often is just like a tiny little, it's just a speck of what that album is supposed to represent and, and mean. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's like, this is our flagship song. This is our banger. This is our beat it you know, whatever it is. Oh, right. But, but I think you're so right in that, like you, it's, 
I get why it needs to be done in the age that we're in, but I feel like it's unfair, kind of like what you're alluding to. It's unfair that an album just can't all be released at once in this, in almost like a similar fashion as you going to see classical music in a huge concert hall where they have multiple movements of the same song. Like they don't mm. just like, they don't just like, yeah, hey, we're going to do a quick teaser on the second movement of, of Bach and G minor. And then we're going to jump over to something else. It's like, no, we're going to start at, at the one and then we're going to go to, to the 10 and that's, that's it. There are segments and this is it. Right. So yeah, I totally agree with you. And I haven't thought about it intentionally like that before, but it makes all the sense in the world. Well, and that that's even more forgivable in my opinion is like, we have an album, we want to get people excited about it. We, we drip the singles. Um, I think for really big artists, they, they drip the singles because they're like, these are the only songs people are going to give a fuck about on the album. Um, and we're making the illusion necessarily like that this album is dropping, but like we all know when it comes to like the tour that's going to follow the album, right? The release tour. People don't want to hear the fucking singles. The singles. Um, the singles. What people are also doing is just saying, fuck albums. We're just, we're just doing singles, 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 which is, you know, kind of cool. Like it's, it's just, you get a lot of different varieties of music out there, but you get, you just miss those, like, like the novel, like packaging with an album. Yeah. Um, so it's just nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's just, I really enjoy the cohesive sound. Um, I also really enjoy the like cohesive narratives, especially when they like span multiple, like Coheed and Cambria is all like one long story essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, or like the deer hunter, like they has act one, act two, act three, all of those albums tie into a grander narrative, which is really fucking cool. Um, and that is, I guess, just selfishly to me, that's so much more impressive than some band releasing like, you know, a three minute banger kind of deal. Right. Yeah, what do you think? What do you think it would do to a band that realizes and then curtails their production experience or writing songs and playing songs and touring? What do you think it does to them as a band if they're conditioned to only do singles? You know, honestly, I think touring sucks. I didn't do a, a lot of it. I my my experience with touring is very brief, but it it sucks. And I think if you don't love music you want to monetize quickly. And that's why you see a lot of bands sell out eventually, right? Like you're like, what the fuck happened? This, this album was the first three albums are great. And then they signed to this bigger label and then it was just shit. Right. Um, and it's because they typically want to monetize. And so I think what it does is despite like maybe the huge support, it's just like diminishing returns. So you make these, whatever, these little tiny one-off singles and i think it actually kills a lot of careers um it can kill a lot of careers a lot of people can do it well because it is a skill if you can you know thread that needle and make Mm -hmm. it work an audience isn't going to care live right because those people they don't care if there's like a disjointed story but i'm i'm sure you know you and i've both been at shows where that artist takes you on a fucking ride and it is so awe-inspiring and so incredible and like so affirming that beauty exists in the world that Mm -hmm. there's nothing can rival it but if you have like this you know uh disjointed library of songs that just don't like work with each other yeah you're just like having a party kind of deal but then there's nothing again nothing wrong with that but it's just not my taste 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. And I, and I, <clears throat> my taste is also similar. It, it makes me think of like, if you were to compare it to sports and, and specifically basketball, there are teams out there that engineered their offensive production to live and die by the three point shot. And they mm. start to not focus on like, you know, post game or mid range jump shots. Right. And so that's, that's what that makes me think of. And it's like, it's like a double-edged sword, another comparison where those some, some teams that are very skilled, they're a well-oiled machine, they can do that and they can do well. But for every one team that does that, there are probably three that try to do it and they don't make it too far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great comparison. I even think about like in uh in like MMA, like if you're like, okay, well, like now the new thing is that everyone's using are like calf kicks or you, or some other technique and then you're just disregarding like the bread and butter it's like it's going to come back to bite you because someone with the fundamentals will they'll be able to weather the storm and apply the things that work yeah so, so true yeah yeah the fundamentals are timeless like in anything yeah yeah absolutely yeah but speaking of mma i yeah i can't believe i didn't mention this before or bring it up but you do jujitsu right that's correct yeah okay so Shot in the Dark, do any of these three songs influence you as a person who does jujitsu? I would say no. And that, that only because, you know, these are like sealed in capsules, yeah. like under, <laughs> yeah. un, underground and like some vault somewhere. And then, uh, you know, none of, none of these really had parallel with my time as a jujitsu practitioner. Um, yeah, I don't. That's a great question. I'm sure there are people out there who who do have like a really beautiful, eloquent way of like describing how music does influence their jujitsu. Um, I will say, music is really pleasant to have while you're training, like while you're sparring, and you know, like one of my favorite things. One one thing I like really miss about Austin was like on Saturday mornings, um, you'd go to the gym and do open map, and I would just turn on like bonobo or something something like really chill and it removed like any sort of you know necessarily like competitiveness or uh over vigor or something like that and it just allowed allowed you to fucking just flow and it was so fun because you're just like dancing with this other person in like this weird violent intimate way (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh yeah i guess not not from this list but it Music and jujitsu actually like really do pair well together. Violent, intimate way. <laughs> yeah. Like gently, you know, right. it's like, I'm, yeah. I could kill you right now, but let's keep going. <laughs> yeah. But, but you're okay with it. You can to this. <laughs> yeah. You can tap and we'll just continue on. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah. I think I totally agree. Like music really helps to relieve tension. Yeah. You know, in a lot of different spaces. And I think like what you mentioned is a perfect example, but like a perfectly timed song is so much is like such a special kind of medicine that few other things can do. Yeah, I think so. And it even just like, I, even when I'm doing like, even when I'm writing, it really helps turning on something soft, like atmospheric because it's almost like it tunes out that thing in your head that just like wants to like, grab and just do other shit and be distracted and it just kind of like mutes it it's like it's like you know rocking a baby 
That's so true. Yeah. Like our, our focus and concentration, baby, because in this day yeah. and age, I feel like we keep talking about like this day and age, these damn kids, but I know like, <laughs> yeah. we're raggedy old men, apparently, but, <laughs> but, but it's, it's true. Like there are a lot of things that are constantly yanking at our attention and it's hard to focus on one thing for an extended period of time. And having music there is like, it's like headphones to block out the noise. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which is, which is ironic because music is a form of noise. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is effectively like white noise that just calms, that can be very calming and soothing. And it, it's, you know, one thing I was thinking about before this conversation, I was deliberating internally with like what songs to choose. I was like, I still love like metalcore, post-hardcore. Um, I still love like just heavy shit. Um, but one thing that like the Andy that fell in love with these songs would n- never have guessed in the world is like, now I love like really like melodic. Um, I don't know. I don't know the words to describe it. Like, like Shlomo, uh, Shigeto, mm-hmm. like just Fortet, like stuff like that. That's really just, I, I just would say beautiful. Um, and it's just, it's just funny. Cause I'm like, do I choose one of those songs? It's like, actually that's like been really, that jo- entire genre has been really important in my life as of late, but, um, wanted to go with something more fundamental. Yeah. Once again, the fundamentals. Yeah, exactly. That's perfect. That's perfect. Well, I think that's, that's a good place to, to push pause in the recording and, and wrap up there. But I just want to say a big thanks to you for taking the time. I know we had a lot of little tech hiccups in the middle of this, but that's totally fine. I can clean that up. But um, one thing I like to do for everybody that comes in the show is leave a little space at the end. And so is there anything that you are excited about right now or anything that you feel like needs a little more attention that's going on in your life or just in the world that you want to, to shout out or plug right now? Sure. Yeah. Um selfishly for me i'm i i want, would love to divulge the the side project i'm working on um i i will say it's in the student loan space and helping student loan borrowers um hopefully maybe connect with me if if you are interested in learning more uh yeah this okay guy. perfect this guy yeah yeah um and i'm really it's kind of ironic because obviously if like student loans are forgiven then both we get what we want, but I never get to really build the thing, um, which I want to do. So uh, I guess that's like a kind of a sick, twisted <laughs> one. <laughs> like, um, but in the in the event that they don't, we're my girlfriend and I are very excited about what we're working on. And then secondly, I would just implore people, man. Like, it's so fucking weird out there. Um, I know I was thinking about it and I'm like, I, I definitely underwent some form of like psychosis in like 2020. Um, and I would say for everybody who's like seeing whatever headline, no matter how fucked up it is, just try to try to be objective, try to just remain peaceful and kind to other people because, um, just being inflammatory and lashing out just feeds into the beast. And that that's exactly what it wants. It wants the outrage and it wants the, um, you know, the polarization. Um, but at the end of the day, we're all just people and we 
probably all have the same fucking problems and the same ones. And that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah. Yeah. Treating people like they're people. Yeah. Doesn't matter if they have a MAGA sticker on their bumper, you know, on their fucking F-250 or they have a Bernie Sander on their little Prius. It's like, they're just, they probably have the same fucking shit going on in their life. It's, there's no reason to be so divisive and uh, it's really also judgmental and like create narratives in, in one's mind about uh, another person you're seeing. Right. Yeah. It's easy to project and easy to create stories. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 Good point. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Andy. Um, yeah. Thank again, you, man. Like, yeah, great, great to catch up with you. Like, even if, even if, you even, even if you don't even record this for like some, some show that I'm doing, we could just like do this casually and like catch up here and there, which would be good. Yeah. I'd love to, man. Cause I, I did want to eventually pick your brain about the, um, the coaching and, um, that's something I feel like I, I could use. Um, so and inquire about it, but, uh, that's a later conversation, but I want to say that I thought the, this show is awesome. I love that you're doing it. It's, it's really fun. Um, and I think you would, you know, as you're working full-time trying to breach into, um, doing the coaching professionally, I, I think you have what it takes, man. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I think I do too, but sometimes time doesn't really work in your favor. So I have to consistently remind myself to be patient and that things will, will come and they'll work out. Yeah. But, I'm totally understand. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk again soon and we can hash out whatever we'd like to hash out. Yeah. Let's do it, man. I'd love that. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, have a good night. I'll talk to you later. All right. You too, man. Bye everybody. Bye. Thank you.